Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. <clears throat> I'm going to have to do a little bit of groundwork this morning to get us uh, geared up for the next three weeks. So just to give you a little bit of, of the backdrop and kind of speak a little bit into it before we kind of delve into the scripture. So the first thing when you approach the Old Testament and, and when you're looking at characters or people in the Old Testament, we've got to be very careful uh, as to what truths, as to what things we draw from that person. All right, there's a very specific time in history when God is establishing his people. And so while we can gather many things that still apply to us today, we also have to be careful because some things are simply for that time. And as God was moving and, and doing things, we have to approach the scripture properly. Um, and, and especially. You know, we look at Israel as a whole, but then once you start to whittle it down to a group of people, and then you get down to one person, we just have to be careful. And so we're going to handle the scripture uh, very carefully and wisely as we should. Um, you know, we don't believe in the whole flip the Bible open, close your eyes, and put your finger on a scripture, and then that's the word for you today. Uh, be careful what you point at, especially the Old Testament. That's why you all hang out in the New Testament, isn't it? Right? Old Testament's like turn or burn, right? Judgment. We don't, we don't want to do that finger-pointing thing. We want to understand context and understand Scripture. Now, today we're going to be looking at Elijah, who is an Old Testament prophet. And the Old Testament prophets, um, they really functioned, okay, uh, as uh, uh, God's voice to the king, all right? The king was God's representative, was the people's representative, my, sorry, the people's representative, all right? And if you notice in the Old Testament, if you read through the Old Testament, anytime a king did well, the people did well, right? Anytime a king would find himself in rebellion, the people would suffer the consequences of God's judgment. And they were always constantly confronted by God's words spoken through his appointed prophets. The prophets were the ones that brought God's word and told them what to do and what not to do. In case you weren't aware, these did not exist during the Old Testament time. And that's something we need to really pause and be thankful for often, that we have access to God's word anytime we want. Even to this day, when we're able to pull out our smartphones and anywhere we are, we can pull up a scripture, we can do a search and find any subject we want, and it's, it's an amazing time that we live in. And so, uh, but they didn't have that. They had scrolls in certain places or things were in the process of being written. And if you didn't know or were in that place or you didn't want to travel for days to read something or you didn't memorize it, all right, God was in the process of uh, sharing his word with his people. As the priests in the Old Testament represented the people before God, the prophets represented God to the people. Okay, we often read about the priests going in on the people's behalf, correct? Moses was a good example of kind of a dual role because he represented the people to God, but then what did he do with the Ten Commandments when he came off the mountain? He brought the word of God to the people, all right? So we just need to kind of grasp some of this. Now, again, the New Testament today stands where the prophets and the apostles as the authority in our lives, okay? So let me just say something now. Stay with me, all right? There, we don't need, there are no prophets or apostles today. Now, let me kind of follow through with this. There is a prophetic gifting. There's an apostolic gifting. But we have here God's word. This is our guideline. And God does speak through prophetic messages. However, this is the primary means that God speaks to us. And I hope you understand this because there are a lot of people today being misled because somebody had a bad burrito and thought that they heard from the Lord and they lead a group of people astray. 
Look at the new, look what the churches are doing and accepting in these days. You know why that is? It's because they're walking away from God's word. If you're in doubt, this is where you go. Is that, is that clear? As your pastor, I love you. I need you to understand that this is where you start. If somebody comes up to you and says, I have a word from the Lord, okay? Again, 1 Thessalonians says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. All right? So if somebody comes and says something to you, I'm going to get up in it a little bit, sorry. If somebody introduces them as, hi, I'm prophet so-and-so, when that happens to me, I'm standing here like this with a smile on my face, in my head, warning, warning, okay? When somebody introduces themselves as prophet so-and-so, just be careful, okay? Just be careful. They may have something from God. So you listen to what they have to say. Then you go back, and you know where you go? Right back here. And does what they say line up with the Word of God? Because there are some specific things in life, as we know. Should I take this job or shouldn't I? Should I pick up my family and move to some Middle Eastern country called Kuwait? Okay? That answer is not in the Bible. However, somebody may share, you know, that God, I think, has put on my heart that this is a good move for you. And that should bear witness with you. And you come back to the Word of God, and is this person, ask them for their credentials. (laughs) Have they been wrong? Have they been right? All right? Especially the ones that say, I'm prophet so-and-so. Typically, have you been wrong? And if you've been wrong, do you know what the punishment in the Old Testament is? Let me get some stones. (laughs) Right? That's, That's what it is. All right? So we need, you know, if you're going to, if you are, if you have the gift of prophecy or God has given you that, I would suggest starting perhaps with what color shirt is the pastor going to wear on Friday? Okay. Something that's not going to hurt anybody and just try that and see if God shows you that and start small and work bigger. And I, I'm, I'm having a little fun here, tongue in cheek, but I just want you to understand not to discourage you, if you are in this place, in the room this size, with a group of people this size, there could be people here that have that gifting. God bless you for it. But you need to make sure that you understand the weight of what it is you carry and not be flippant. Now, in the Old Testament, it is common for prophets to appear on the scene without formal introduction, as we're going to see here. Unlike the kings, we get this long lineage because that's really how we track the line and what's happening historically. But the prophets will just appear out of nowhere with no backstory for us. And just they, just they just pop up and we just have to accept that. We might get where they're from if we're lucky, but that's about it. So it's no different with Elijah as we're going to find out today. Now to give you a bit of a context of First and Second Kings. Um, It's a a 411-year period from 971 B.C. to 560 B.C., okay? There's about two people in here that's appreciating this right now. Everybody else is like, okay, let's get to the good stuff. All right, but for those two people, 411-year period, that's what 1 and 2 Kings is covering. It was originally one book. If you go to the end of 1 Kings and you go to the 2 Kings, it starts, it doesn't miss a beat, okay? So it it reads very smoothly. So if you're going to read, make sure you read both, all right? Uh, it's authored by someone named Anonymous. That's it. That's all I get. Okay. Uh, they, they say they don't know who authored the book for sure, but it's believed to be Jeremiah um, because it it's follows in the same Jewish tradition that he writes in. There's similar styles between Kings and Jeremiah. Uh, both books speak of God's righteous judgment on apostasy, idolatry, and immorality, okay? So, and they fit within Jeremiah's lifetime, his ministry. So most likely Jeremiah wrote the book, but we'll credit it to Anonymous for now. Um, one last thing before we get to Elijah is that uh, the 12 tribes, just to give you a little context, 12 tribes became a united kingdom under David. Israel was a united kingdom. Then because of some disagreements, the kingdom divides into a north and south, all right? To a north and south. All right, the northern kingdom disperses first, and then the southern king disperses after that. They fall apart, and then that's the Babylonian conquest happens, okay? So give you a little context of what's happening. So when you read through the Bible, and there's prophets, there's prophets in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, 
and that's why you have so many kings at times, is that you have two kingdoms operating. Okay? All right. That's the history lesson. Now, Elijah. Elijah. How you doing, Elijah? Good to see you, buddy. Do you know what your name means? Do you know what your name means? No? Okay. I'm going to tell you right now. It's my God is Yahweh. Did you know that? Joe. Come on, man. All right. Elijah means my God is Yahweh. Really, I mean, no introduction. When he introduces himself in the Old Testament, it pretty much sums up who he is, right? My God is Yahweh. He was uh, from Tishba and in Gilead, east of the Jordan River. He's a descendant of Benjamin and served in the northern kingdom in the reigns of Ahab and his son Ahaziah. Okay? So Ahab and Ahaziah, the, the father and son, a mighty man for God. Here's the amazing thing. But the Bible does not conceal his faults. All right, and this is a point I need to stop and make on, on the uh, validity of Scripture. Do you know why the Bible is true? It's because if it was false, you would not have any of the bad stuff. It would all be good. It would all be great. And when the amazing thing you find in the Bible is all the people that did tremendous things for God typically did something stupid as well or really bad. Right? David, man after God's own heart, yet is lured away by a woman, right? Moses kills somebody, goes to the desert, but yet God turns it around. Anybody you want to look at in the Bible, for the most part, they fail. Do you know why? Because God is awesome and amazing, and he uses imperfect people often, if not all the time, which is good news for us, right? Am I the only person here, right? Is there anybody else? Okay, two people. Again, thank you for coming. So, again, the Bible, it, it shows everything. It does not hide anything, and it shows the good, the bad, and the ugly of people. And so this is why we can, we can have confidence that it's true. King Ahab, who Elijah comes to, is the seventh king of the, north, seventh king of the northern kingdom, and he's reigned, he reigned for 22 years, all right? He reigned for 22 years. However, in 1 Kings 16, it says that he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, if you want your name to be remembered, especially in the Bible, this is probably not what you want to be known for. Okay? He did more evil than any of those before him. So he's bad. He's a bad guy. He's a sinner, just like you or I, but he did a lot of bad things. And one of the worst things he did is he married a woman named Jezebel. Anybody heard of her? Okay, it's a pretty common name. People throw this around a lot. Um, she was the daughter of a, the king of the city of Sidonians, and she introduced, this is the deal, she introduced Baal worship as well as worship of Ashtoreth, complete with temple prostitutes and everything, Okay. So she, she, she introduced all this false god worship. And to even go further, she persecuted followers of the Lord and killed the prophets of the Lord with a sword. All right? Except for 100 of them. 100 of them, uh, a man by the name of Obadiah, hid them away in caves. So grasp this idea here. Here is the king of Israel, and he's allowing his wife to murder all of the prophets of God. She's persecuting those that follow God. And not only that, she is not a closet Baal worshiper. She's doing so in the public and pushing it on to everyone else. This is not a good thing. and This is not a good place for the children of God to be, be in at this time. Good news is Ahab at one point eventually does repent for his ways after he does many, many things. And he's later killed in, in a battle, all right? And he's left, he leaves us a legacy uh, that we still read about to this day about mostly his failures. But God did find um, mercy on him at one point. Now, to get into the scripture, all right? 1 Kings 17, verse 1, all right? We begin with what's called, what's the, what I would call the warning, all right? And here is, here's Elijah. As I told you, he comes onto the scene, now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, 
There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Okay? This is it. This is all we get. There's no, again, there's no big formal introduction. This is, he comes on the scene. Again, remember the climate in that area right now, right? In that kingdom. What's happening to the prophets? They're being murdered. Yet here comes Elijah and says this warning. There shall be no rain these years except by my word. All right? God had given a warning to the children of Israel long before. In Deuteronomy 11, it says this. Take care lest your hearts be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. They had been warned. And notice, was it the people that went astray? Yeah, in in a sense, yeah, but what happened? It was their king, wasn't it? Their king had gone astray, had married this woman for convenience of trade and everything else, and because of that, God was punishing his people. Notice also where it says, "By except by my word. Notice his boldness and authority that he walks in. He doesn't say, by the word of the Lord, though that's where it comes from. But he says, by my word. He says, when I say it's going to rain, it'll rain. That's boldness. And, and we see God's hand upon Elijah to boldly walk in there and not be touched. To paraphrase George Whitfield, God's servants are immortal until his work is finished. And that's something that we can draw from today, a truth that we can draw from. What has God called you to do? When you are doing the work of the Lord, you can trust that God's hand will be upon you until his work is finished. Because he is a God that does not lie. He is a God that's truth, right? And he will see you through and his hand will be upon you. A man by the name of Ronald Wallace says this in reference to Elijah's sudden appearance. For to see him, Elijah, appear so suddenly reminds us that we need not despair when we see great movements of evil achieving spectacular success on this earth. For we may be sure that God in unexpected places has already secretly prepared his counter-movement. Amen? God has always his ways of working underground to undermine the stability of evil. God can raise men for his service from nowhere. Therefore, the situation is never hopeless where God is concerned. Whenever evil flourishes, it is always a superficial flourish. For at the height of the triumph of evil, God will be there ready with his man and his movement and his plans to ensure that his own cause will never fail. Are you in a place today in your personal life or even have you do watch the news and look at the news and see the tremendous amount of evil happening? You know, I I was thinking about... uh, this, this time when we went to this place here and we helped do like uh, some cleanup of this villa. When we got there, this, the, the trees, everything was overgrown, the bushes, the shrubs, this whole, it looked horrible. Palm trees, you know, all dead and falling over. And we put all this work in and we, we, we cleaned out all that dead stuff and we did all this work. And then, you know, by a month or two later, you would go and you would never know that this pristine place had, had looked the way it did. But you see, it never, the awe of it would have never happened had it not got as bad as it was. You would not be able to see what the transformation looked like. And a lot of times when God is moving or when things are happening to us and we're struggling or we're going through a difficult season or we're seeing evil happen, it's not that God is not present, but God is waiting for the perfect moment to make his entrance into that scene. And he's working and moving so that he brings about the most glory to his name. So that there's no doubt at who was responsible for the success of what was happening. For the good when it triumphs. Also notice here in verse 1 that 
Elijah, he gives no timeline. Imagine that, you know. It's one thing, you know, it ends up being three-year period, but they didn't know that. He's just like, it's not going to rain until I say so. That's it. Not going to be three years of famine. and, and No, it's just it's not going to rain. I'll let you know when it, when it happens. God is doing something in this, in this time in history, and he's showing his people, and he's doing a work in Elijah as well. After the warning, we find the withdrawal. 1 Kings 17, 2-4 says this. And the word of the Lord came to him. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, I want you to make a note. Or if you don't write in your Bible, just make a mental note. But pay attention to this phrase, the word of the Lord came to him. This is a, a, a key phrase, a key thing that you're going to hear and see throughout this this. Uh, First Kings, this account of what happens to Elijah. The word of the Lord came to him. And this is what God says. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. First thing I want us to notice is that God sent his prophet away with no chance to further his message or even try to win people over. Right? How strange is that? I mean, if God had brought him to that place, wouldn't it make more sense for him to stay and be able to talk to people and to, to plead his cause with people and, and maybe get these other prophets on board and start to do a work from the inside, right? But what does God choose to do? He says, to, you're going to depart from this place. You see, church, God's punishment was set in motion. God sends Elijah into three years being hidden and in his own apprenticeship program, if you will. All right? And as many of you know, three, the number three, three years, it's, it's a picture of completeness. Not quite to the number seven, but it, it appears 467 times in the Bible, the number three. It's a very key thing to see and to understand here. But three years is a number of completeness. And I believe that it applies to two things here. One, to Elijah which God is still doing something in to prepare him for what's next, but also this King Ahab and the, and the children of Israel here are also, God is doing something complete there. All right, and we need to recognize that. Following the withdrawal, we find the wilderness. 1 Kings 17, 5 through 7. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. You see, the disappearance of Elijah from the scene is that abs it spells the absence of the word of Yahweh, meaning the absence of life from Israel. You understand that? Like I said, they couldn't pull out their Bibles. God spoke through his prophet. Well, how do you hear from God if there is not a prophet present? God has withdrawn himself during this time. Israel's judgment is not just the drought of the land, but more importantly, the silence of the Lord. I don't know if it was a song. I think it was a song. Maybe something can help, but, you know, is it take, take everything, but give me Jesus or something like that, right? Anybody ever heard that? If it's not, I'm going to write a song, and that's going to be part of the... But it's true. We should be able to say that. It's take everything you want. Take, take it all, but give me Jesus. But give me Jesus. And you understand this is what's happening is not the drought that they're going through. While that's horrible and, and you know, suffering and all these things, and we can all probably identify with hurting and suffering, but as long as we have Jesus, as long as we have the presence of God, we can make it through. Don't take my God from me. Don't take your presence from me. Hide not your presence from me. But yet here we have this scene of really representative of what was happening in the physical was also happening in the spiritual as well, this drought. 
Scripture always treats the withdrawal of God, God's word, and the silence of his voice as an agonizing punishment. It's agonizing. It is painful. And if you're in that place today, it's a very, it's a, it's a horrible place to be in. You know, those places, those times when you, just like, God, where are you? God, I can't hear your voice. God, the word of God is not as fresh as it used to be. But the truth is you can have a Bible in your hand and suffer the absence of God's word. People debate the Bible all the time without truly believing it. There are people, there are scholars, there are teachers who study the Bible as if it's just another book. And they can debate the book better than most Christians because they know what's in it. But they don't believe the truth of who God is. But they can debate from the point of what's written. It's not enough just to have the Bible, but to truly have the word of God in your heart. And if we go on despising the word of God, he may withdraw his light and allow us to walk in the darkness we seem to prefer. See, church, we, we come to church, we, we study the word, we pray, and we do all these things and ask God to draw closer to us. And, but the reality is many of us, God has spoken or God has shown us sin in our life. And sin separates us. And what's sad, especially if you've truly accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, is you have been given the means to ask for forgiveness. That sin, those sins have been paid for, have been atoned for if you just ask and you turn. But many of us, we, we can get rid of a lot of them, but there's just those few that we really just kind of like to hold on to. Maybe it's a secret sin. Maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe it's not really hurting somebody. And we think it's like, well, what's the big deal? We may find ourselves in a place similar to where we see these people. Now, notice the way here for Elijah, the way that God provides. Bread and meat, all right? Bread and meat. I mean, it'd have been great, you know, you go to prison, some of these places in the world, and you get bread, if you're lucky, bread and water, right? But, I mean, God is extravagant, and he's get. I mean, Elijah's getting bread and meat. He's out in the desert making sandwiches, you know, and most people would have been happy with just the bread. But he has bread and meat and water, and so God is providing. But one thing we have to notice again, because God never does things through the usual means, does he? Ever. I mean, granted enough, I don't know if you ever had a bird bring you supper or lunch you know, you're sitting at work and you just kind of open your window. Oh, yeah, about time for lunch to come in. This bird comes flying in and drops off a chunk of meat and some bread on your... Anybody had that? Okay, just making sure. But no, we've never had this. That is amazing in itself, but, let, but check this out. The reality is, is the raven was also unclean. It was detestable. In Leviticus, that says, And these you shall detest among the birds, all right? They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite. I don't think it's the one on the string. I think there's an actual bird, but it's called the kite. The falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind. God sends in a detestable bird that the Jewish people are not supposed to have anything to do with, but that's his means of transportation to bring his food. Why? Because God is God. And God chooses to provide through the least likely resource. And then as we read, but then suddenly everything's going well. Elijah's eating his sandwiches, drinking fresh water from the brook. And all of a sudden, the brook dries up. What now, right? I mean, I think a lot of times, I think, I don't think we, we, we comprehend in our mind when we're challenged or when things don't go quite right and we hit that wall. We don't ask God, like, what's the next step? Because we just see it that that was our answer. That was it. God, what have you done? Why, why are you letting me die in this wilderness? Why... The birds aren't coming and the brook's dried up. What's going on? 
But God has a plan in place, as we're going to find out. There's another step. And if you're here in this place today and you've hit that wall or you've hit that place where th- things are running out or you're, you're struggling or God asking God, where are you? Maybe you need to be asking, Lord, what's next? Maybe the answer hasn't come yet, but I promise you, because God is good and he loves you, there is a next. You just have to hear what the next is. And I want us to notice what Elijah waits for. As we go on in 1 Kings verse 8 there, we're going to hear about a widow now. But notice how it starts in verse 8. Our favorite phrase. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Elijah just didn't wake up and say, well, the brook's dried up. I'm out of here. He waited for the word of the Lord to come to him to find out what's next. Verse 9, the word of the Lord says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Not a very good picture, is it? He's probably better next to the dried up brook, right? And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and and your son. Who is this guy? (laughs) No compassion, right? Oh, you're a widow. You're about to die. You're stunned and you're starving. Hey, go make me some food and bring it to me first before you eat. Right? Only in the Old Testament. But go on verse 14 and listen. He says, but for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Again, here's this word of the Lord. The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Now, let's dig in here a little bit. First thing I want you to notice is the widow, what does she say? She says, as the Lord your God lives. All right, this is a Gentile widow, obviously. This is not a Jew, She is a Gentile. She is not identifying herself with his God. A Gentile widow was used. What does that mean? It means that God was extending his grace beyond the boundaries of his covenant people, Israel, to one of Baal's servants. This is a foreshadow of what we read in Acts when Peter explains that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Had this woman done anything to receive God's grace? Was she looking for God's grace that day? She was looking to die. She was looking for her and her son to breathe their last and to have a small meal just before so it somehow would be more comfortable. But what happened? God burst onto the scene of her life. Why a Gentile? It's because his grace had been ignored. God could have easily used a a widow that was a Jew. Right? It had been just as miraculous. And this is where we have to be careful not to put God, the God of this universe, in a man-made box. Isn't God breaking the rules here by our our standard, right? God is doing something because he's just that. It's like if we jammed the sun in this room, 
I'm pretty sure every corner would be lit up. It doesn't matter if it's behind the wall or not because the sun is so intense and so bright, it would light up and it would probably blow these windows out and it would light up quite a bit, right? Do we agree on that? That's the kind of God that we serve. When he comes into the situation, all the boundaries and borders just blow off and here is this Gentile widow and her life is changed and spared. Notice here, there's the second way that God provides for Elijah. The first way was through the detestable. The second way is through the destitute. Here we have a widow. And and back then, the widow was basically synonymous with poverty and need. God didn't roll Elijah up onto the doorstep of some rich person. He rolls him up in front of this widow woman who's next to death, her and her son. And chooses to use that means as a way to provide. Perhaps, perhaps you can find your, yourself maybe in this story in this widow. Because she's in a position of nothing left to lose. She decides to go all in with her faith. She didn't have to do anything for him, right? I mean, moms in here, I mean, would, if some guy came up and said, hey, Give me some food and let your kids starve before you guys die. Come on, mama bears, right? You're going to provide for your family, right? You can, I don't care who you are. Yo, I'm going to feed my kid. But again, she has nothing left to lose. She's next to death. She's about to watch her son die with her. And so she takes a chance. She says, you know what? I'm going to put all my cards on the table. I'm going to, by faith, I'm going to walk in and step into this and do what you say. Because I believe that what you're saying is true. Which brings us to verse 15. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Notice that God met the widow and prophet's need daily, not all at once. Right? It's not like some big flour truck backed up to her place and dumped a whole pile of flour and like, oh yes, we can eat now for three or four months. You know, and the big oil deliveries truck or donkey or whatever they had comes in and drops off all these jugs of oil and, hey, we're set. Yes, I love, I love your God. It's amazing. No, it didn't work like that, did it? Every day was a new portion. Every day was a new portion of God's faithfulness to his promise. And this, this church is something that we can draw from tremendously. And I'm sure there's people in here that can agree to this or attest to this, that typically God doesn't give it to you all at once, does he? He shows you the next step and the next step. Do you know why? Because we're supposed to walk by faith. As much as we would love to know, hey, there's our destination, it doesn't work like that. God says, here's your next step. Trust me. Here's your next step. Trust me. God, there's a wall. What do I do? Waiting, waiting. God removes the wall. Here's your next step. Now trust me until you get to what God is taking you to. It's called faith. And we must daily put our faith in God. Daily put our faith in God. So here's this scene. Everything's going amazing. Here's this new believer, this person, this widow this, that's been saved. I mean, think about, you know, she's strolling in the kitchen every morning. All right, God, what you got today? Reaches in. Oh, hey, there's flour. Okay, here's the jug. Boop. There's the oil. Thank you, Lord. Every day. Life is good, right? Right? I mean, that would be pretty awesome. I would love to see that. I would love to be a part of that. Suddenly there comes a turn, though. Why? Because God is God and He just does this kind of stuff. Let's read further. After this, 
after the awesomeness and the party and the good time and everything's going good and this lady is, I mean, this Gentile believes in God and awesome things are happening. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house became ill and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. There it is. Um, God, are you, are you paying attention? Are, are you in this somewhere? I don't think you're making good decisions right now to win somebody over. Right? Wouldn't we say that? I would say that. I know, you're all like, yeah, she's got it under control. I mean, it's the kid's dead. What's the big deal? No, we're like, God, what are you doing? She just started to get her faith legs underneath her. What are you doing? She feels the same way. And it goes on. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? She's in this position and in this place like, what, so you toyed with my emotions and you've gotten my hopes up and now because of my sins of my past, you're going to take my son? We were better off just dying before. But yet you're going to provide and give us this hope and all these things are going well and then you're going to take his life? What sense does that make? Suddenly we have this tension that arises between or because God had promised to provide for and sustain the widow and her son. Did he not? Has God failed his word? It seems like it, right? Let's be honest. I like what Dale Ralph Davis says. He says the tokens of life sat on her shelf while the fact of death lay in her arms. Here was the oil and the flour that had sustained them. Amazingly, this miracle on the shelf, yet in her arms was her son, now lifeless. This widow who is just getting her faith in God upright and now is plunged into a hard lesson that Yahweh both sustains us and Yahweh perplexes us too, doesn't he? He does. It's okay. Because we don't understand everything. When things don't work out the way we think it, it should. I've shared with you many times our story. You know, we lost a child. I mean, that's perplexing. It makes me angry. It made me angry. Because I did not understand. God was going to heal our son so that we had this amazing testimony. That's how it's supposed to work out. And it didn't. Reading on, and, and he said to her, this is Elijah, give me your son. Again, here's this widow with nothing left to lose now, right? She's back in the same place and nothing left to lose. So he hands, she hands her son to him, and he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And now notice the prophet Elijah, and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Now the prophet of God, Elijah, the one that hears from God, is asking God, what are you doing? So you're in good company if you've struggled in the past. You're in good company if you're asking God, why? Here's a prophet of God asking, Lord, what are you doing? And then we see something very strange. He says, then he stretched himself upon the child. So he lays his child down and literally lays on top of him. Very, again, just why, I don't know. But he felt he needed to. And notice the number three times he did this and cried to the Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. Elijah makes two pleas. The first is an accusation. Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? 
Again, he's saying what we're all thinking. But then comes a petition three times. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. See, God had reduced his servant to a place of complete weakness. Elijah is simply pleading with Yahweh in prayer. This isn't the same Elijah that was standing before the king and says, it's not going to rain until I say so. Now he's like, God, please, please bring life back into this child. Please. He's pleading with God. You see, prayer is God's appointed means of grace in our difficulties. We need to pray this way for ourselves, all right? But this is what I want you to catch. But we also need to place ourselves in the position of other people and plead their anguish. It's easy to do it for ourselves, but when's the last time when somebody next to you is hurting, did you just weep for that person? When did you step into your prayer time in your prayer closet and just say, God, please help this person. Lord, please move in this situation. Not selfishly for us, but for someone else. We need to pray this way before ourselves, I agree. But we also need to place ourselves in that person's shoes. Listen, church, you don't need to have an answer all the time. And I think we feel that pressure often. You see, if you are a follower of Christ and you've accepted Christ, you have the right to approach the throne of a loving Heavenly Father through Christ Jesus. And that's what you need. See, Elijah, he doesn't walk in and arise and get up, does he? He pleads with his God. Lord, please save this son. Save her son. And if, we, if, you have, if you ever find yourself in that situation where somebody's near their end or they're going through a hard time, don't walk in there bold and arrogant. Feel what they feel. Understand their pain and then pray through that with them. Lastly, we find the witness. Here comes the good part. Verse 22, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Now we have this change, don't we? We've read so much about Elijah hearing God's voice. Now the Lord has heard the voice of his prophet. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord, is our phrase, in your mouth is truth. You see, the widow comes to realize through her agony and trial that Yahweh shows himself faithful in the end. Would she have ever, I mean, the providing every day for was amazing, but think about now what God has done through that death of her child and now he's resurrected. That woman's faith has been solidified in God, in Yahweh. Deuteronomy 8 Deuteronomy 8 says this, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. I've shared this before. One of my Bible professors always said this. He said, Life is not always fair, but God is always faithful. God will not let you down and he will come through with whatever it is you're going through. And this event further solidifies God's power and authority over death, which is huge. Nothing, nothing, nothing can put you beyond the grip of his hand, not even death. Peter, would you come? And so we end on the same theme that we started with in this chapter, which is the word of Yahweh is what gives and sustains life. His word. And we are nothing without it. We're nothing. 
So I don't know what your situation is today. I don't know what you walked into this room carrying. I don't know if you find yourself probably more on the side of the widow than maybe Elijah. Maybe you feel like you're near your end in whatever situation it is. God has promised to be faithful. He has not left you. Again, as the word of God says, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you. And don't miss this opportunity to let your faith grow, to let your faith in God be solidified. Again, her faith would have never been what it was had she not gone through that valley, had she not experienced the loss of her child. I stand here before you and just tell you the truth. You know, in our case, our child didn't get back up. He did, he did eternally, right? He is in eternity with Jesus. And we've been able to glean some understanding of that situation. God used that situation because that situation was not the end. And even when it doesn't go the way we think it should, or we think it should be something completely different, that's where our faith is. Right? If God laid it all out, would it be faith? No, it's just doing what's obvious. But God is wanting to grow your faith. He's preparing you for what is coming next. And you need to understand that. Don't rush that. And don't, as I've heard it said before, don't waste your pain. If you're in a place of hurting today, don't waste it. Let God complete the work that he's begun in you. And a lot of times it's through those times of suffering and hurting that God brings about change. Would you stand with me?